Well, good morning. Uh, so glad to see you here this morning in person, and thank you for joining us online as well. Uh, just excited to, uh, to start this new series uh, with you today. But before we get into that, just as a reminder, uh, the reason that we gather on Sundays, the reason that we do everything that we do uh, at South Point is that we want everyone to experience God's unconditional love. And we believe that God's unconditional love is found in the person of Jesus. And really, that's who this is all about. If there's anything that we ever do that, that is outside of that, uh, then, then it's bound to fail because it's not directed at the reason that the church exists, and that is to raise up and glorify the person of Jesus. And the reason that we gather each week are, are really for a couple of things. There's one, we need to be reminded of who Jesus is every day, um, every week, to be encouraged by the person of Jesus, but not just for ourselves, for those that we interact with, um, so that we understand who Jesus is and we're able to share him with others as well. Now, now here's the good news about this morning. I know it's super cold in here. Um, you know, for those of you who maybe ate a little extra for Thanksgiving, the, there is a fact in the fact that the more you shiver, the more weight you lose, you know, so there is, there is that factor. So, uh, yeah, I apologize. We just had a little bit of issue with the heat that hopefully will get fixed here soon. Probably not soon enough to help us this morning, but, you know, it is what it is. We are getting ready to kick off this new series, like I said today, called The Light of Christmas. And this is going to be a little different look at Christmas than maybe that you've experienced in the past or maybe that we have done here in the past. Um, I, I don't know about you, but it is so easy for me to get caught up in, uh, in, in the holiday stuff, all of the holiday things, the shopping stuff, the busyness, uh, just running from places, making all those arrangements that, that the holiday season begins. And it's easy for us to miss the significance of this year, uh, of this part of the year, of the, of the significance of the fact that, that Jesus was born, uh, that Jesus came, God came and took on flesh and he lived on earth. But like I said, rather than just focusing on the birth, we're going to stick in John and we're actually going all the way back to the beginning of John for this series, John chapter 1. And John has this unique look at at you know, the introduction of who Jesus is. And, and I look at it this way. Um, if, if I were going to share with you about somebody that I care deeply about, where would I start? Like, if I were to talk to you this morning about my wife, Wendy, where would I start in that conversation? I wouldn't necessarily start and say, you know, my wife, she was born on February 24th, 19, fill in the blank, in Vandalia, Illinois. Like, I'm not going to introduce my wife or talk about my wife that way. I'm going to tell you what I think is special about her. I'm going to share with you why I think that she is important, why she is significant to me. I'm going to start with those kinds of things. And I think this morning, as we look at John chapter 1, that's where John starts. John starts. And so if you think about it, what, you know, you're John, and you're going to sit down, and you're going to begin to describe Everything that you've experienced with this person named Jesus. I, I mean, we've spent this entire year looking at all of the things that Jesus has taught, all of the things that Jesus has said, and John has experienced all of these things firsthand. I mean, all of his teaching, if you think about all of the teaching of John, or of Jesus, 
that John has listened to, not just when Jesus was in front of the crowds teaching, but all of the time he spent with his disciples teaching him. And, and, and the scripture says that Jesus taught like no other person. He taught with this unique kind of authority. And, and John heard all of that teaching. And, and you think about all of the miracles that John has witnessed that Jesus has done, that, that he calmed the storm, he spoke to the, the, to the storm, he speaks to the weather, and the weather goes calm. That, that he's able to heal leprosy. That, that he's able to make blind people see and lame people walk. That he, he even raised somebody, he even raised those from the dead. I and mean, he's witnessed all of these things. He's seen all of these miracles that Jesus has done. John himself was standing at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother Mary and watched him take his last breath. John was at the tomb when the, the women went to the tomb and, and they went back and told the disciples. John and Peter went to the tomb and they, John experienced the fact that the tomb was empty. John was with the disciples after Jesus' death and after he experienced the empty tomb and all of a sudden Jesus appears in the room with them. John experienced that and then later he's sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's sharing a meal with this resurrected Jesus. John has experienced all of these things. John is up on the mountain with the rest of the followers of, of, of Jesus, and Jesus gives, us, gives them this instru the instructions on what they are supposed to do next. And then he just ascends and disappears into heaven. John witnesses this. And then 10 days later, John is gathered in this upper room. And the Holy Spirit descends on, on all of that, that, that are there, and they're able to fully understand exactly who Jesus is. John experiences all these things. So John sits down to write the story. Where do you start? Like, how do you describe who Jesus is? I mean, in, in, in a few sentences, how do you capture the infinite into words? And so this is how John does it. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's how John decides to describe who Jesus is. And I want to point out three really important things that I think that we need to pull, important truths about who Jesus is, who John says Jesus is in these five verses. The first is this, Jesus is God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. That phrase, in the beginning, is, is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is the exact same wording in Hebrew as it is in Greek here, in the beginning. And, and so instantly, the Jewish audience, when they read this, would have, been, would have perked up and realized that that's the exact same phrase. And, and basically, what John is saying here is Jesus has always been. 
Like, Jesus didn't just start in the manger in Bethlehem. Like, he didn't just come as a baby. Like, Jesus always has been. That's what he's trying to say here. And it wasn't just the Jews that John was communicating with when he wrote this. He's also talking to the Greeks because the, he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word, word here in Greek is the word logos. And, and for the Greeks, logos had this significant meaning. Basically, what the Greeks saw was the logos was this idea of this impersonal force that, that, that created order and purpose in the world. They didn't really, like when the Greek philosophers looked at the world, they realized there was some order and some purpose to it. They didn't quite know how to describe it, but they described it as this impersonal force that created this, this logos. It's where we get the idea of lo- the word logic. And I'm going to nerd out for a moment here. So out of this, when the Greeks share, come up with this concept of this logos, this impersonal force of, of, of order and logic, or order and, and purpose, what, what happened were there were basically two camps that came out, because the Greeks really didn't have a concept for afterlife. They just believed that, that you lived and, and then you died, and there was really nothing after that. And, and so two different camps came out of this, and one camp out of this, this impersonal force of, of purpose and logic, one camp said, well, you know, the meaning of life, the purpose of life is just to enjoy life. And so life is just a party. And, and we just celebrate all of our, we just party hard our entire lives, and then we die, and it's over. And those are called Epicureans. And, and then there was another group of people that said, no, that's not, that, that can't be what life is all about. Life, life really is about living a virtuous life. It, it's about following the rules of, of nature and, and of mankind. And, and it's really the idea that we need to leave the world in a better place than when we found it. And those were the Stoics. And so both of those perspectives came out of this whole Greek philosophy of logos. And, and what's interesting today is if you step outside of faith, you step, step outside of the belief that there is something after this life, then that's really the two camps that you find a lot of people in, right? Life is kind of just a party, or life is about leaving the world a better place, and that's really all there is to it. But, but John takes this concept, this Greek concept of, of this impersonal force, and he makes it personal. He gives it an identity, and this identity is Jesus. And it's not just an identity, but it's also a purpose. There is a purpose to why things are the way they are. It's not just a party. It's not just about virtue. There's so much more. In other words, what John is saying is there is a person associated with everything that has happened and everything that will happen, and his name is Jesus. And we aren't just part of some cold Uh, random, impersonal force instead of random acts. Jesus is personal. And in these next couple of words, we're going to see that he's so much more than that. John 1, 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh, the significance of the two words, with and was. Because in these two words, what we see is that John is saying, and Jesus himself claimed to be God. And this idea that 
God exists as one being, but in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One being, three persons. And obviously, I don't have time to break into this whole, like, breaking into what the Trinity is because there's so much mystery in it and so much to unpack. But, but suffice it to say this, what John is saying in this very first verse as he introduces the person of Jesus, he's basically saying Jesus has always been and Jesus is God. And, and here is why I think this is so significant for us this morning. There, there's, a, there's a line of thought that's out there that believes that what God did is basically God committed some kind of like divine child abuse when he sent Jesus like, like Jesus, the Son of God, went and paid the price, you know, suffered God's wrath, died on the cross for us, and that, that was some sort of divine child abuse. And if you don't have a firm understanding of that fact that Jesus himself is God, then you can see where, that, where you could get that kind of mindset. And, and it's even further clarified when, when Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, because what we understand is, is Jesus as God, all-powerful, all-knowing, willingly set aside who he was in order to die for us. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through, he says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider quality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus, who is God, he was made in human form, yet fully human and fully God, he willingly died in our place. That's pretty amazing. So, so not only do we see in this, this section of Scripture that Jesus is God, we also see that Jesus is creator. John chapter 1, verse 3 says, Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. You see, all things means everything. Things both seen and things unseen. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Everything that has been made was made through Jesus. Creation came through him. And, and just to be clear, Jesus was not created by God. That is the reason that that last part of that verse is there. He says, he writes that without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, Jesus, it was all, all created by him. Nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is God. Why this is significant? Just like I mentioned, some people see Jesus as God's creation. Like, somewhere he fits in the hierarchy of things. It's like between God and, and the angels, maybe the highest angel. That's not the case. 
Jesus is God. Jesus was, has always been, has always existed. And, and Jesus is the one through whom, in whom, and for whom all things were created. And the reason that Jesus comes is he comes to redeem. That means he came to buy back or to purchase back and restore his creation. That's why he came. The third thing that we see in this is that Jesus is life. And I know that we have talked about this in the past because Jesus himself claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. But, but John makes this even more clear, I think. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the word life that John uses, uses here, there's several words in the Greek language that mean life. The word life here is not bios, which really means physical life. It's the life that actually, quite frankly, John's already talked about through creation. Everything that Jesus, Jesus has created would be bios. This life, this word life is zoe, which basically is this idea of this uncreated eternal life that exists only in God himself. It's uniquely possessed by God. And what we see in the story of Scripture is the fact that once when God created, when Jesus created everything, there was this harmony, there's this relationship between God and between mankind. And that was broken by sin. And part of what happened through that sin is there was separation from Zoe the source of life. And in that separation, it created darkness. And what Jesus, the reason that Jesus came was to restore this life to us. And John uses this imagery of light and darkness to try to give us the idea that light, the light represents this life, the spiritual, eternal spiritual life that Jesus is and the darkness representing the separation that has been caused by sin. I lived in Missouri for a long time and made several trips across the state. And if you drive down Interstate 44, which is kind of cross east to west across Missouri, you will come across a lot of billboards for a particular cave called Merrimack Caverns. And back when I was in a kid, you couldn't drive more than like a half a mile or a quarter mile and not see these billboards for like miles and miles and miles. All of them had these little quips of what you could experience when you saw Merrimack Cavern. It was both ways when you traveled. You couldn't miss it. And, and so several times, when, both when I was a kid, even as an adult, we would go and visit and tour Merrimack Caverns. And, and as part of that tour of Merrimack Caverns, they would always wait till you got to the deepest part of the cave. And why they did that, I'm not sure exactly why they would wait. To, I guess it was because for, you know, for effect. Because you could have done this anywhere along the trip on the cave. But the tour guide would basically warn everybody, hey, you know, I'm about to have you experience like total darkness. And make sure you don't scream or panic or run or, you know, those are all bad things that happen in caves. 
you know, don't do any of those things. We're going to kill all the lights, and you're going to experience total darkness. And they would kill, the tour guide would kill, have all the lights killed. And it was like not be able to see your hand in front of your face dark. I mean, it was total darkness. And, and I, I remember that. I remember those experiences. You know, you always, like, after you've experienced once, like, I can't wait till we get down to the, you know, to the bottom, and they turn off all the lights. It's really weird. But, but what's so interesting about that experience is, I don't know if you've ever been in a place that's, like, completely devoid of light. There, there's a certain, like, heaviness to darkness. Like, like, there's a weight that you feel in, like, a completely dark space. You feel, like, enclosed or something like wrapping around you it's kind of a heavy feeling it's also extremely disorienting you lose all sense of like space like what's around you and even like if you're in it long enough you even kind of lose like what's happening with your own like hands and you lose a little bit of time like feeling of time that's very very disorienting and if I were completely honest, it's a little bit scary. <laughs> I mean, you're in a room with a bunch of strangers and it's completely dark. You don't know what's out there, what's coming in. Your mind begins to wander as far as what could potentially happen in this dark. What if the lights don't come back on, you know? And, and really, if you're in it long enough, it begins to get pretty lonely. I mean, even if you were just standing right next to somebody that you came with, you can hear them breathing, you're even having a conversation with them, but you can't see them, and it can be a little bit lonely. And then at some point, and it feels like an eternity, especially when you're a kid standing in total darkness, at some point you hear the strike of a match, and the tour guide's holding a match, and instantly, instantly that little flame like completely dispels all of that darkness. Like it just goes away. It like it flees. It's almost like the darkness just flees from the light. Just that one match. And you would think like logically, you would think like the volume of darkness in this space surely would overtake that one simple match, but it doesn't. The light overcomes the darkness and Jesus just like that light in that cave overcame the darkness. Jesus overcomes the darkness caused by sin and separation. He connects us. He reconnects us back to the source of life, this Zoe that is God. And, and why this is significant to us, why this is significant to us, for us to remember this is, is this, is even if you've said yes to Jesus, even if you said yes to Jesus, there are times that we can begin to forget that he is light. That he has overcome the darkness and we can allow that darkness to begin to surround us. We can feel overwhelmed by it. We can begin to feel the heaviness of all of the things that are swirling around us. We can get disoriented in the midst of all of this. We're, 
we, we question, who, who do we listen to? Where do we turn? What do we even believe? And, and you can easily begin to feel lost. It, it, sometimes it gets scary. You know, we can allow fear to creep in because of all of the things that are happening, all of the things that are surrounding us, all of the voices that compete for our interest. And it can be scary and fear begins to creep in. And what happens when fear creeps in? Automatically self-protection. We go into self-protect mode and we begin to swing at anyone and everything that tries to come near us. And worst of all, we can begin to feel lonely. We can begin to feel isolated. And and you feel like you're the only one. Regardless of who reaches out to you or who's in the room with you, you feel isolated and lonely when we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the light. And, And what John is saying here about Jesus, Jesus has overcome all of this. He's overcome all of this. There's no reason to fear or be overwhelmed or scared because he is with us. You see, John wants us to know. I mean, not just like head knowledge, no. He wants us to believe and believe in such a way that it transforms us. Believe in such a way that we put our full weight, our full trust in who Jesus is, that we live our lives in such a way that we fully embrace the person of Jesus, that we're willing to bet everything that we are, everything that we have on him. Jesus Jesus was not like anyone else who has ever lived or ever will live. He, He is God himself in the flesh. He's the one who created everything, and he's the one who has come to redeem his creation. He has come to overcome sin and death. That is what we celebrate and why we celebrate the Christmas season. And frankly, not just the Christmas season, it's what we celebrate and why we celebrate every single day. He has come. He has conquered. He reigns. And he offers us this amazing free gift. One that we can never be good enough. One that we can never do enough to earn. It's one that all we have to do is just accept it. We just have to accept it. We have to believe that he is exactly who he said he is that he has done for us on the cross everything that we couldn't do ourselves. And that's going to transition us into a time of communion right now. We're going to celebrate the fact of what Jesus did for us on the cross, what he has done for us. And there are trays in the aisles on these tables, and in these trays are two cups stacked together, one that contains a little piece of bread that represents his body that was broken for us and one that has some juice in it that represents his blood that was shed for us. And everyone is welcome to participate in this time. It's a time that we remember this amazing sacrifice that Jesus made. God who is with us, who, who has been forever from the very beginning, 
who gives us purpose and meaning. That God became a baby, took on flesh, lived with us, showed us where to li- how to live, and then ultimately died for us. A death and paid a price that we could never pay so that we could have a life that we don't deserve. And that's what we remember at this time of communion. So I'm going to pray and then feel free to go and grab the elements and then take those as you're ready to take them. Father, thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you for Jesus. Father, I'm overwhelmed when I think of your love for us and what you have done for us and the the price that you paid. And not just the fact that you died for us, but Father, the life that you give us now, the life that we have with you, it's unbelievable. So thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for the life that he gives us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.